All right, let's get you to, uh, I think, just an incredible story uh, that uh, Catherine McDonald, our crime reporter, had on Global News yesterday. And right now, you can uh, read it on globalnews.ca. It is uh, top of the charts right now. People across the country are just really trying to understand this one. It's all about a man named Cameron Gardner who lives in Collingwood. And on January 22nd of 2019, three men, forced their way into Gardner's townhouse in Collingwood, where he was watching a movie with his girlfriend, and one of these men was carrying a sawed-off shotgun. The men took turns guarding Gardner while two others were up in his son's room and ransacking it, looking for drugs and money. Gardner's son was well-known to sell marijuana from his bedroom on the top floor of the townhouse. Gardner said it was only later he realized that they were after his son's drugs and cash, His son had a camera monitoring his bedroom. He was not home at the time, but was notified on his cell phone that someone was in his room, came home to find out what was going on. He came home, kicked the door in, which made Buddy drop the gun. This is what Gardner told Cameron Gardner, telling our Catherine McDonald. And Gardner says that he managed to get a hold of the shotgun. There was a struggle. Two of them died. A third guy jumped out a second floor window. Here is Cameron Gardner in conversation with our crime specialist, Catherine McDonald, talking about what happened next when police arrived. I was very shocked. I thought uh, it was about them breaking in my house, not me being accused of shooting them and murder. I, I was like terrified, like, what the? You know, it was almost more scary than know this happening. Um that's thing I know I'm being arrested, taken to a cruiser, um, sitting in a police station. Uh, it took you six months, right? Yes. Six, months. Talk yes. About, six um, long months. That is Cameron Gardner in conversation with Catherine McDonald. He was shocked to find that he was arrested. He did six months in jail. Last December, After a preliminary inquiry, the two counts of second-degree murder were reduced to two counts of manslaughter. And then, just yesterday, the charges were completely withdrawn. Withdrawn completely. To give us a better understanding of what actually are your rights, if this were to happen to you, because I think a lot of us think that we're living in the United States, that those are the rules that apply to us. Andrew Bigioni is a criminal lawyer with Dan Brown Law is on the line. Welcome to the program, Andrew. Thanks very much, Alan. So I know you don't want to comment perhaps on this particular case, but give me an oversight of what, what actually are the rules of the law in Canada if someone were to bust into your house armed. Right. So essentially, Alan, our law allows um, a homeowner, and, and this applies outside of the outside of the context when someone's breaking into your house. But if we're using that context, it allows a homeowner to employ what we generally refer to as reasonable force in defending themselves. And what's going to be reasonable any, in any given circumstance is going to depend on what is the what is the threat that you're responding to, right? So if if we're borrowing from Mr. Gardner's situation, you got three guys in your house. There's a sawed-off shotgun. 
you know, this truly, as you said, an incredible circumstance, and and it's a nightmare scenario because they employed zip ties on him and his wife, so they were bound up, and it's just something you don't even want to think about. But if that's the situation, and and the question that a court or a Crown attorney is going to need to consider was, all right, was the response reasonable in the circumstances, certainly there's going to be a fairly wide latitude in what you're able to do to respond to that force, because... I don't think anyone would argue that Mr. Gardner's life and the life of his his spouse and and later his son were very much in danger in this home invasion uh, robbery. So essentially the question is, and and what we're permitted to do is respond in a reasonable manner to that force. And if if that requires taking someone's life to preserve your own life, then, then our courts can condone that in the right circumstances. But before the courts can condone it, we have to get through the investigative process. And in this particular case, we had investigators and a crown that decided to move forward with charges. Absolutely. And and I think it's a little tricky for us sitting here now because we, we know what happened in the case. We know, roughly speaking, what the evidence at the preliminary inquiry was, but I think you do need to place yourself in the shoes of the police officers who responded to this initially. They show up. Mr. Gardner's there. His wife's there. His son's there. There's a third individual. They're not sure how he fits into it. And there are two uh, men who are lying there dead at the hands of a shotgun. Now, Mr. Gardner, and I'm not sure if he made these statements at the time, but someone in his position might rightly have said, look, I was just defending myself. And and we know that now to be true, looking back, back in retrospect, but the police officers don't know whether that's true or not. And so when you have two men dead at, at the, the business end of a sawed-off shotgun and an individual uh, who is taking responsibility for it at the scene or certainly seems to be the one who pulled the trigger, the question for the officers was, all right, well, are there reasonable grounds to think that that an offense has been committed and that someone's responsible for these murders. And I think knowing what we know now, and certainly in Mr. Gardner's mind, he knew what happened. Um, It seems to have worked something of an injustice to have apprehended him and made him sit in custody awaiting bail. But, But that was very much, you know, I would imagine very much unclear to the officers who responded uh, in first instance. So it's easy for us to look back in retrospect and say, no, that doesn't seem fair. And, and and maybe it wasn't fair knowing what we know now. But at the time, I think it was far less clear. And that's why an investigation did need to be undertaken. And in the end, the right result, uh, you know, and, and the right kind of set of facts and version of the story prevailed. And Mr. Gardner was exonerated. And obviously, he's been uh, to Helen back waiting for that to happen. But uh, in the end, the right result was achieved, I think. I, I think Mr. Gardner, although he's thrilled with uh, the outcome, would have a different perspective on the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and he may well. Um, and that's, that's probably by virtue of having been incarcerated, uh, awaiting bail, and that, that's something, unfortunately, that we haven't, as a society or legal system, figured out a way um, really to improve on is that someone needs to uh, go for bail when they've when they're accused of committing a serious crime and and nevertheless the state is trying to incarcerate them even though they have a constitutional presumption of innocence and so 
certainly how people get bail and, and people who are held for bail. There's a tension there, I think, for sure. But uh, Mr. Gardner's dissatisfaction with how this all worked out may be understandable in his shoes. But as a society, we need to we need to try and get in the heads of of the investigators in this in this horrific incident. And I don't think it would have been clear to them at the time uh, exactly what happened. And had they simply accepted, you know, Mr. Gardner's word at the scene that, hey, look, I didn't do anything wrong here. I'm not so sure that's a precedent that we want to set for law enforcement or an approach that law enforcement is generally expected to take, that they just accept whoever's word uh, it is when they get on scene, right? So an investigation was needed, and especially because you have two men dead.